started a sermon series called Dream Again. We're starting a brand new year. And so I want to inspire you, I want to encourage you and challenge you to uh, begin to dream again. I think sometimes as we get older, um, you know, we, be, we, we dream a little bit differently. Um, we have a lot of caveats, if you will, to our dreams. We have a lot of uh, negativity surrounding New Year's resolutions. And so last week I talked about the fact that, that I believe that, that God wants us to use this, this fresh year, this new start. Um, the earth is making one more trip around the sun. Uh, for us to refocus and recenter our lives around Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about dreaming again, I, I really want to talk to you about uh, dreams that God has for you, dreams that, that God has for each and every one of us. And so the, the ultimate best place to find that is in Psalm 23. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. But if not, we have a giant Bible over here on the screen. And Psalm 23 uh, starts off with this line, and this was basically last week's sermon. Uh, it starts off with the line, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, of course, if you change that to I am my shepherd, <laughs> we found out last week that things can go kind of downhill from there. Um, but but uh, the psalmist David uh, starts off with this line, the Lord is my shepherd, and each and every one of us need a shepherd. If you, if you weren't here last week, you can go online and listen to that podcast. Um, Emilio and I preached that together, and so that was fun. Emilio is preaching at a church up north this morning, just FYI. So that's cool. But um, the Lord is my shepherd. The next line is going to be our sermon title for today. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Because of that fact, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. It's one thing to get a vacation, to get a rest, to have a few days off for the holidays. And your body can maybe get restored a little bit. Um, but it's, it's so much more important that you would learn how to have your soul restored. He says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness uh, for his name's sake, and that's important. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, I thank you for your word. I just pray that you would open it up to us today. Reveal to us um, exactly what you, would, what you would speak to us, how you would challenge us, how you would shape our dreams. Lord, as we, as we look at your vision for us, uh, that of being a sheep and following a perfectly good shepherd, and all of the good that comes out of that. Lord, reveal to us the next step for us today. Uh, we ask that you'd have mercy on the Cowboys today at 3.30. <laughs> uh, may they do better than the Texans, in Jesus' name. Amen. You gotta, hey, that has better, better than the Texans. I bet, hey, that's good. Texans didn't do so bad, actually. I was, I was kind of impressed. You know, I mean, Osweiler lost... Lost while I threw a few interceptions, but um, yeah, that's to be expected. Seventy-two million dollars would do that for you, okay? Maybe not too soon. Um, <laughs> we've been we started. <laughs> I hear Romo might be available, so all you Texan fans, just hold hold on. Um, uh, we we started last week. We started twenty-one days of prayer and fasting. So as a church, many of us are giving up things, fasting, giving up either YouTube or Facebook or 
um, food, some kind of food of some kind. Um, me and my family were doing, it's kind of like a Daniel fast, but it's basically paleo. So um, anyway, my kids are loving it, absolutely love, no, just kidding. Um, it's, there's, there have been some tears every morning when Micah wakes up and realizes he can't have his usual yogurt and granola bars. Like he, he just downs yogurt and granola bars every morning. And you can't do that uh, on, on this fast. You can't have grains, you can't have dairy, you can't have sugar, you can't have bread, you can't have anything good. You cannot have anything good. It's just all the stuff you don't like, right? Fruit and vegetables, you can have galore, but everything else is, is, uh, is kind of off limits. And, and, and that's, that's a good part of the 21 days. 21 days is not us beating ourselves up in order to impress God. It's really removing some things from our lives that it just kind of clutters our lives that we really don't need. Uh, it's amazing how, 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 how you start accumulating stuff. Like the older you get, I'm 36 years old. It's interesting how you start just accumulating stuff. And if you don't believe me, just try moving. Like move from one house to another. You know, it seems simple, right? Well, we're going to live in this house. Now we're going to live in that house. Yeah, not so fast. You're going to need like three U-Haul trucks, and you're going to have to hire a company to come in and crash up all your furniture and your beds and just every, like you start digging out closets and boxes upon boxes that you never unload. They just stay in your garage. I mean, this is like what it's like to move because we have a way of accumulating so many things. And so uh, throughout this fast, um, uh, I have been abstaining from a lot of food uh, that I normally have. Uh, but for Christmas, I got some H&M gift cards. And so those of you that know me know that I like H&M. And so I went down to H&M and I got some new jeans um, and, a, and a jean jacket. Uh, 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 it's, Dallas said this is the Canadian tuxedo, so I don't know what that means. But I just know it's retro. I just know it's, so it's cool. And uh, anyway, you know, and, and, so, and, so, and so I went shopping. I told Ro, I said, hey, baby, you know, I got some new jeans. And, and she just, like, she didn't even answer. She just kind of rolled her eyes, which that is an answer. But it's, like, she didn't even say anything. And I was like, what? You know, I, I didn't, I don't have any jeans like these. Like, these jeans are totally different from all other jeans that I have. And so anyway, as I was preparing this message and I read that line, um, from David about God's sheep and God's vision for you. He said, he said, I shall not be in want or I shall not want. And I think that's, and I think that's interesting. I, I shall not have this want. And, and actually, as, as I'm on the fast, I mean, I'm wanting all sorts of things. Like I'm wanting pizza, I'm wanting sugar, I'm wanting, you know, just everything that I cannot have. And this is what David says, I shall not Want and 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 so and so I, I I said well I don't have that many pairs of pants and so I so last night we we we, we pulled out some pants now uh, and, and then then we, then we took them but it's but it's interesting how even though you know I was telling somebody recently that I needed some black pants <laughs> that's clearly not true that's clearly not true it's interesting how you can have stuff and then think that you need more and think that you want more and that word more actually is a very dangerous word and it's so prevalent in our culture this is a word that is so frequently used the the word more and so if i would challenge any of you guys uh over 2017 one challenge i would throw out to you is is maybe maybe get, lay down the burden of want the weight of want because more never is enough more never finds enough more never gets enough and and it's quite weighty and i and i know like you know with pants and stuff i mean you know it's not that's not the biggest 
deal in the world, but I, I do feel like I just got way too much. I don't even have space like under the bed to shove them anymore. It's just not working for me. So, so sometimes it is good to, to take inventory and to clean some stuff out. But, but, but the, the Holy Spirit said through the psalmist David, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I shall not carry the weight of want in my life. So my sermon title is very simple. It's a question, and I'd like for you to turn to somebody next to you and announce my sermon title to them. Just go ahead and ask them, what do you want? What do you want? Denisha, what do you want? What, what do you want? Just, uh... <laughs> Don't quote him, but... <laughs> It's interesting. The weight of want. You see, like this is this is something that's interesting because things just accumulate. All right, that's 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 just cool. That's great. That's lovely. That's cute. Let's go back to dream again, shall we? Um, you, you things just accumulate. <laughs> things just accumulate over time. Things just things just start building up over time. And just to put this in perspective, in uh, uh in the, throughout the 1950s, the average size American home was 978 square feet. 978 square feet was the average, which means half of the homes in the 1950s were less than 978 square feet, and half of the homes were more. But the average home in America in the 1950s, 60 years ago, was 978 square feet. Now, currently, as of uh, about four years ago, the average home in America is just over 2,600 square feet. Now, I'm not really good at math, but that's almost three times the amount, like our homes, just, just, just our homes that we're living in, that you're living in, that I'm living in, just our homes have grown by almost three times the size. What is going on? Are we having more babies than we used to? Do we have more, are, are our families bigger? Lucky you should ask. No, actually, the average size home in the 1950s was, was three and a half people. There's always been half people. I don't know who those people are but they don't quite count as much as everybody else. There's three and a half people. Now the current is two and a half. So every home in America has lost an entire person. We still got the half guy running around, but, but, but we, on average, we have lost an entire human being out of our homes, and yet our homes have become three times larger. Why is that? Maybe our appliances got bigger. No, appliances got smaller. Our electronics, those got smaller. Just about everything in our lives have, has been condensed and shrunk and become smaller. We fit a lot of stuff in our pockets nowadays or in our purses, and yet for some reason our homes are three times, the, nearly three times the size they used to be. My guess is that if you were to walk into somebody's home and ask them how much space they need, they would tell you that they don't, they, well, they need a little more. <laughs> because that word more has become such a part of our culture. The word more has become such a part. In fact, my guess is most of the time why we need space is not for people as much as it is for stuff. We need space to store all the stuff that we've accumulated. We need closets to put them in, sometimes entire bedrooms to fill up with. And what's interesting is not only are our homes three times the size that they used to be, and they're filled with stuff, but also in 1958, a little industry started which is now a booming industry uh, known as the storage units. Prior to 1958, 
you could not pay somebody to store your stuff. They would look at you like you were weird. But after 1958, they, the, the first storage unit opened up. And man, over the last 60 years, it's, it has become a booming industry. There's, oh, there's, there's, there, I, I, I had it written down, there's over 52,000 facilities in the US. One out of every 10 Americans is paying money to store stuff that they can't fit in their already massive house. They're paying somebody to store it because they might use it someday. And so in this room, there's, there's, if you go one out of 10, then there's, you know, there's about 15 of us probably who, who have storage units. And you're thinking, oh, this is, I can't pick the wrong day to come to church. I picked the wrong day to come to church. I picked the, <laughs> sit down and hold on, baby. We're just getting started. We're going, we're going to take it a little further. I, like, because, because here's the deal. Like, it's, it's, it's a $6 billion a year industry storing other people's stuff. We were driving down the freeway, and there was there's one called Life Storage. We, we saw one called Life Storage. We're like, either, either they're like planting a church and a storage unit at the same time, or they're primarily marketing to people that can't, that can't distinguish between their lives and their stuff. Because <laughs> storing your life there? What's that all about? But, 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 this, but this is what we are as Americans. Why? Because the word more has grown to be so important to us. Because we're in a consumeristic culture, because in a capitalistic uh, culture, uh, companies don't make money if, the, if, if you're content. If you're happy with what you have, they're not going to make a lot of money. And so, and so if you just sit down and just watch a football game, like I, we, we don't even have cable at our house, but every once in a while I get, I get the chance to you know, watch TV and watch a game. And it's like just the sheer amount of advertisements and commercials is mind-numbing. I'm like, one minute, like, is, we're zooming in on a blizzard. And I'm like, man, I'm not even hungry, but dang, yeah, maybe I am hungry. And then we got Whataburger there. And then it's like Pizza Hut's, it's all the steams rolling off of it, you know. He's like, wow, well, maybe I'll go out for some cheese sticks. That sounds good. And, and, and then the next minute, we got Matthew McConaughey in a Lincoln in a tux. And I'm like, yeah, I look pretty good in a Lincoln. And I think I actually have a tux. I got some black pants. I could pull that off. I could use a link. Oh, it's only it's only 300 bucks a month with like a million dollars down. That's not so bad. I think I can handle that, right? It's like it's like you need this, and then every kiss begins with K. And so you get a you get a spelling bee lesson at the same time that you get told if you want to make out with your wife, you better bring home some rocks, some diamonds, some jewelry, something. Like every kiss begins with K. I don't know what that's all about, but but it's like I need that, and then I. this and then if you really want to make your Valentine's Day special this is what you got to do and it's just all of these things that really is just could be summed up in one word and the word is more what do you need well you need more more than what you have you need something you don't have maybe your furniture you've had it in your house it's still working great you know but but man look at this new furniture check this out like this will this is totally renovate your entire house against renovations. I, I, I mean, you know, you can be a, a hellion if you want, but, but I'm just, I'm, you know, a heathen, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying that at some point, if the Lord is my shepherd, I have the capacity to lay down the weight of want. Because when your hope is always on the next thing, now this, this applies to stuff, definitely, but it also applies to relationships. 
Sometimes your hope is on the next one or the one that you're waiting for, the one that you're looking for, or Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And, and, and you place, whenever your hope is on the next thing, you invariably do not live in peace currently in the here and now. And so this, this is a burden to you. This is not good. This is not helpful to you. This is helpful to big companies and big business, but this is not helpful to you and your family and your life. And so in 2017, I would encourage you just to lay down, lay down the burden of want. There's stuff that, that, that you can have and there's stuff that you can go and get, and that's great. I mean, go shopping at H&M if you want to. But, but, but at some point, God can empower you to lay down this heavy burden because it is heavy. Our kids, we, 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 go, up to, we go up to Michigan every once in a while and um, to, to visit with, with my parents. And I remember the last time we went, it was last Christmas, um, we always let the kids pack themselves. Now we give them some essentials, you know, like you've got to put toothpaste, toothbrush, underwear, stuff that, you know, adults, we're, we're really smart about that. And then we're like, okay, so this is your little suitcase. You can you put that stuff in, and then you just pack in whatever else you want. And it's hilarious, the stuff they pack, like stuff they don't play with at all at home. They're like, oh, I gotta have this. Like, I really need this. I'm like, what are you gonna do with that? You know, like, oh no, I know. Okay, fine. So shove it in the thing, shove it in the thing. Well, well last year, Madden, our, she's now seven, she had just got this giant horse, like a stuffed animal horse. It was, as, it was bigger than her. She just got it for Christmas. She really wanted to bring it. And I said, oh, just throw it in the car. I will find a way because I am such a good packer. Like I'm, I'm a Tetris, you know, guru. And so I said, just throw it in the car. We're driving to Dallas. I'll find a way. So we get to the parking lot. I, I unzip her thing and she's in her backpack. It's already full. And I got this big giant and I'm like, it's okay. So I start shoving, you know, like, have you ever like, and you're like my 140 pounds is like stepping on it, sitting on it. Like it's kind of in, I'm trying to get the zipper around. Like if you get the zipper around, you are good to go. Like, that's the key. And so you got to work, inch it, inch it, inch it. Well, well, the time is running out, and finally I'm just like, babe, I'm sorry. Like, we're not going to fit this in here. And she's crying. I'm like, oh, I really wanted to be able to bring it. And so I said, okay, fine. Well, you know what? Uh, it's not going to fit in here, but if you want to carry it, like, you can take it. You, you have to carry it along with your backpack. We always make the kids carry their own backpack. And so I said, now, I don't know if security is going to confiscate it. We don't really know what's going to happen. We're flying Spirit Airlines, which is like the worst airline in the world. Um, they charge you for breathing. And so we were like, you have to hold your breath the whole flight. All right, kids? Uh, and so, you know, and so we said, this is, this is the odds. This is what's going on. And she looked at it. Her tears dried up. And she said, you know, I think I'll leave it in the car. And this is, this is basically what I want to tell you today. You can accumulate stuff if you want, but you're going to have to carry it. What you, the, 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 the salesman didn't tell you this, but I'll tell you this. Some of your parents didn't even tell you this, I'll tell you this. What you get, you are gonna have to carry. So you might wanna weigh it first. You might wanna see how heavy that is because you keep stuffing stuff into your life and that's fine and that's good, but you're gonna have to carry it. And sometimes the bigger house leads to a bigger mortgage, leads to more anxiety, leads to more hours at work, leads to less time with your family and the weight of what you thought was so great to stick in your portfolio becomes so heavy. You can't even enjoy it anymore. And this is something that, 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 that we do. I was talking to a guy named Greg Hawkins, and he was talking about, um, he was talking about this very thing of want. And so I don't know if you can see this, and my handwriting is not that great, but I, but I, but I wanted to illustrate it to you that, that, that 
some of you, yeah, most of you can see it. This is the present, okay? So this line means the present. This back here is the past, and this up here uh, is the future. And, 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 and this is what happens when we live in want. Number one, either we, we think about the past a lot, so all of our thoughts and all of our energy and all of our emotions go toward the past, and the problem with that is you can't change the past. There's nothing you can do about the past. You can't go back and undo anything. You have a lot of uh, uh, wish, wish I could have, should have, would have, but, but, but the time you spend in the past is, is really wasted because you can't do anything about the past. And so many of us, instead, we choose to spend a lot of our time, a lot of our thoughts, even a lot of our hope and our dreams in the future. What's coming up? What's, 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 what's down the road? What I plan to do? What I'm going to do? And what, what happens is when we live in either the future or the past, we miss the present right here. We, 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 we miss the moment. And many of us don't really live, we didn't really live 2016 because we were always looking that something else was coming. And when that comes, then I'm going to get joy. When that comes, then I'm going to have fulfillment. And when that comes, and when that raise happens, and then when, that, and then when I find that job, and then when I find that girl, and then when that relationship, and then when my kids stop acting crazy, and then when, whenever I get to that place in the future, that's where... That's where I'm going to start living. That's where I'm going to start being decisive. And, and that's when I'm going to start making choices. That's when things are going to change. When I get there, the problem is you never get there. Like, like, like tomorrow is only in your head. <laughs> I don't know if anybody told you that. It doesn't exist. Because as soon as you go to sleep and wake up, what is it? It's today. You never get to live tomorrow. All you have is right here. This is just your five minutes. Who you are right here is who you really are. Now, what you want to be, that's cool, that's wonderful, lovely, but that's in your head. It doesn't exist. It's fake. Who you are is the choices you're making right now, the time you're spending right now, the intentional things you're doing right now. That is who you are. And David said that if you are with a shepherd, that you are not in want. You are not driven by the, the taskmaster of want. That thing in the back of your head that has a vision of the future that if you could just get there, everything would be okay. But, but you never actually get there, and it's, always, and it's always something that you're chasing after. And so how do, we, how do we get out of want? Well, he goes on to explain. If you can pull up uh, Psalm 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want either past things or future things. And this is what the shepherd does for me to help me with that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, green pastures means that it's good food. So sheep like green pastures, and they cannot lie. Anyway, they, they, they like green pastures. It's good. It's a good time. Because it's, 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 it's good food. And the problem with sheep, well, one of the many problems with sheep is that they do not have like a sensor in their head that says it's time to go to sleep. So you and I, when, when the sun goes down, I think it's serotonin that stops being pumped into our brain. And so we kind of, what? Melatonin, there you go. Okay, so your brain says, see, I don't even have it, so I, my brain doesn't really shut down. But a lot of people, after dark, they say, man, that's kind of, I should probably go to sleep. You know, like my wife, like, if you try, like, we could be talking. 9.30, we're talking, it's great. 9.45, I'm talking, and it's great. And I'm like, I was just talking to myself. 
okay. And that's just the way that it is because most people, she's more like most people, and they, they're, they're, your brain just says, I'm tired, I need to rest. Well, sheep don't have that. Sheep aren't able to rest on their own, especially in green pastures because, oh my goodness, look at the opportunities, look at that. And man, I'm, tomorrow I'm going to go eat that, and then I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to you know, wander over there. Wow, this is just so awesome. They're so easily distracted, a lot like us, <laughs> with more. More there, more there, more there, more there. Wow, this is awesome. And and the shepherd knows, though, that in order for them to actually eat more and actually enjoy more, they're going to need to rest. So this is what the shepherd does. The shepherd uh, helps stop their distractions. So what he does, he sets a little sheep down. This is this is a little sheep. Sets a little sheep down, and the and the little sheep is like always looking all over the place. She's 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 very beautiful. And she's looking on squirrel, and then she's looking over there, and there's a, and she's very easily distracted, kind of like Micah, and and that's where he gets it. And so you know she's very distracted, and so the shepherd just kind of grabs, just kind of grabs her face, and, and and connects, makes eye contact with the sheep, in order to block out other distractions. And so the sheep, as the sheep focuses on the shepherd, the sheep begins to realize how tired they are. And so that sheep lays down and goes to sleep. He goes around to the next sheep, and he f- gets the sheep to focus. And then that sheep, that sheep understands, oh, yeah, I really am tired. And then that sheep lays down and goes to sleep. This is how God helps deliver us from the burden of want. He changes what we're looking at. Because when, when, when you're living in want, you're looking at all the possibilities and all the things that you want. And it's so great. And it's going to be so good someday. It's going to be awesome. But, but, but what, what, what the shepherd does is he redirects our gaze. He takes our face and he, and, he, and he centers it on himself. This, by the way, is one of the things that we don't do when we're living in want and when we're carrying the burden of want. Even in our prayer time, right? 21 days of prayer. And we'll go to, we'll go to the Lord. We'll say, God, I'm going to pray today. It's awesome. And this is how we'll pray. Lord, I really want you to give me some of that green grass over there. And I really need some more of that grass. And then, and then, and then if you could get so-and-so some grass, and then if you could, and then, and then if you could lead me over there, that would be awesome. And then someday if you could just do that and bring that into my life and bring this. And we just, we, we don't look at his face. We just talk to him about the pastor. And we're like, and, and, and all the while, he knows that we're not going to rest as long as we're looking at the pastor. We're not even going to be able to walk into the stuff he has for us as long as we are distracted by the stuff. And so he tries to, to redirect us and to pull us toward himself so that we can see him. And this is, uh, this, is, this is what has been happening this past week. We've been meeting every evening, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. We've been at Janie and Armando's house. And uh, this next week, we're meeting at another home. And so check, 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 check the website to come, come with us. We've had around know, 20 people, 30 people one night, 15, 15, about 25. A lot of different folks coming together to, to pray. And, and I've been just recentering and refocusing us every single night that we are not here to ask God for stuff. We are here to seek God. We're here to seek his face. We're here to see him. Because if you, if you can see him, you'll figure out how heavy this burden of want really is. And how tired you actually are. And you'll rest. You'll rest in him. And so that's been our focus. And uh, on the first night, 
on the, on, on the very first night, I said, guys, we just need to repent. We need to cry out to God. We need to lay down everything that is in us that shouldn't be in us. We just need to lay it down at his feet. We need to repent. We need to get right with God. We need to see him. Because this is, this is, this is the deal. Many of us think that we know him. That's why we don't bother looking at him. Because we, we, we already think we've got this covered. And so, and, and so even this week, I was counseling with somebody, and I have a whiteboard in my office. Babe, could you maybe move this, like, front and center? I don't know that everybody can see it. But I have a whiteboard in my office, and so I, I, I was counseling somebody, and, and finally I said, you know what, how about I just, how about I just get out this, this, this marker, and let me, let me just ask you a question. I'm going to ask you all this question. Uh, you have notes. Go ahead and write this down in your notes. Write down the question. Um, what do you think? What is most important to God? This is, you don't have to give a scripture or anything like that. Just in your opinion. Uh, what is most important to God? This is, this is a question to you, because, because this will kind of gauge how much you've actually been looking at him. Because uh, when we don't really look at him, we don't really see him, and we don't really know what he likes and what he doesn't like. And so just simply just dr- jot this down. What is most important to God? In fact, I'm going to write that, that question here. Uh, hopefully you can read my handwriting. What is most important? To God. Okay, so you kind of have an idea. Um, the person I was talking to gave me this answer. Who, almost everybody I've talked to and asked this question, they've given me this answer too. So if I were to, if I were a betting man, I would, I would, I would bet that several of you wrote down this this very answer um, or something like it. What is most important to God? A relationship uh, with me. Or something like that, that I would know him, that I would serve him, that I would walk with him, that I would be, his, be, be in relationship with him. And this actually is what Roe wrote down in her, she, she had a study book that asked the same question 15 years ago. She wrote that same answer, uh, a relationship with me. What is most important to God is a relationship with me. And that's not a bad thing because a relationship with God is very important to him. So I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But this is, this, is, this is the question though, what is most, what is most important? Because if you, if you get that wrong, if you get that twisted, if you get that mixed up, then, then other things start to kind of go off in your perception of God as well. And so I said, what is most important uh, to God? And, and, and this person said, a relationship with me. And this is what most people say, because most of us are a post-1950s Christian. And, and, and around the middle of last century, uh, there were a lot of evangelists, really popular, Billy Graham, you might have heard of Billy Graham. Well, they, they, they coined the phrase, this hadn't been used before, it, w- it wasn't in the Bible, it wasn't used by the early church fathers or the Reformation, but they coined the phrase uh, that God wants to have a personal relationship with you, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So Billy Graham would get up there, he'd have those crusades, right, and, 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 he would, and, and the choir would be singing, just as I am with a woman. And he'd say, now come on down and, and, and make a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, like, like, like hundreds, sometimes thousands of people would come down to the front, and it was good. I'm not, I'm not knocking. Billy Graham is, like, awesome. He's one of my heroes. And, and they, would, they, they, they would come down, I mean, on their hands and knees, just crying out to God, and, and it was awesome. But years ago, about 15 years ago, I watched an interview with Billy, and, and, and Billy told the interviewer that he thought, in his, in, his, in his opinion, that only about 5% of the people who came down to the front actually found a relationship with Jesus. Like, according to Billy Graham himself, 95% of the people that said, I want a relationship with Jesus, that came down and prayed the prayer, they went away empty-handed. Now, so, like, that's not a good statistic. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's not nice. I don't like that. Billy, what's going on? Well, one of the things that's going on is, is while Billy was trying to communicate to his culture in a way that was relevant to them, sometimes people get the wrong idea. And so if you believe that God's primary purpose in this world, the thing that's most important to him is that, he that you would have a relationship with him. Number one, there's an interesting word in that statement that just shouldn't be there. It's me. And it doesn't, and, and when you start reading the Bible, stuff stops making sense, right? Because like in the Old Testament, right, you have God, and then you have these sons of Korah who rebelled against Moses, and God causes an earthquake, and the ground opens up, and 300 men fall into the earth, and then God squishes them. For junior high students, that's an awesome story. They're like, yeah, and you know, body parts are, but, and God did that. Now, now, hold up. Now, now, God, if you're most concerned with having a relationship with your people, this is probably not the way to do it. You know, I can think of more, you know, politically correct ways to say I love you than, than by crushing people in the middle of the earth. Jesus Christ comes to earth, right? Jesus comes to earth in the flesh, and I would have been scared to death to hang out with Jesus. Many of you are like, I just like to hang out. I would not like to hang out with Jesus because one minute, I mean, he says, let the little children come to me. They're all climbing all over him. And the next minute, he's going into the temple, and he's made it his own whip, his own weapon, right? And he just starts swinging this thing, and hitting people and then he gets into a fist fight with the with the people that were selling the doves and all that kind of stuff. he turns over their tables and throws them out so I'm kind of a religious person if somebody walked in here and started like beating you guys up I would not be happy I don't care if you are selling doves. I don't care what you say. Well, no, there's some things you shouldn't be selling to church. But, but, I mean, if you're, like, you know, giving away WWJD bracelets, I mean, what's this guy's problem? If he really wants to have a relationship with people, there are better ways to make us like you, Jesus. Like, you need a PR. Uh, this is a PR disaster. There are better things. Like, you know, it's just, I mean, like, and he's constantly doing stuff. It doesn't make sense. Like, he calls out the religious leaders, the pastors of that day, and he's like, you hypocrites, you sons of vipers, which in that day was equivalent to sons of something else that was saying that we have. And it's like, Jesus, hold up. Like, you can't just say that stuff in church, and you certainly can't say it about the pastor. This is what he did, and he's doing weird things like that. And if, if he's primarily concerned about a relationship with us, and this is where this is where this this thing breaks down, even 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 in your personal life, right? People 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 grow up in sin, right? And so they start sinning, and sin tells them uh, this statement that it's all about me. That's what sin says. It's all about me. Everything's about me. It's about my happiness. I don't care who I have to step on to get what I want. As long as I get what I want, everything's going to be good. And then we, 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 we hear a sermon or we come to church and we read the Bible. Somehow we hear the Bible story. And that's when we hear that it's actually all about God. And we're like, oh my goodness, I've been living for myself. That's right. This is all about God. He made everything. He owns everything. He, he, he deserves everything. And so, and, so, and so we make a decision to follow Jesus because, you know what? I've, I've had this upside down. I've had this twisted. It's really all about God. And then this is oftentimes what happens, though. We get in church for a while, and the enemy starts whispering to us that our God is all 
about us. It's interesting, isn't it? The little shift. On the one hand, you're living life, it's all about me. My happiness, my needs, my concerns, my family, my future, my finances, this is what it's all about. You're confronted with this truth of scripture, it's all about God. And you say, yes, okay, I need to serve God. And then there was a song back, I don't know, 15 years ago, God loves people more than anything. And the church comes in sometimes accidentally, but we make it, we, we sort of start, we start telling you that God is primarily concerned with you. So what happens when life is all about God and God is all about you? It's kind of like it's all about you again. You see how you can even be serving God and in your mind go back to the same mindset that you had before you even knew God. And yet you worship him. Because, because if I worship him, he's going to take care of me. If I give my tithes and offerings, he's going to make sure my finances are always set. He's going to make sure my, 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 my wife or my husband doesn't cheat on me. He's going to make sure every, my, 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 my kids don't go nuts. He's going to make sure of all this because he's primarily concerned about me. That's what he loves. That's what fires him up. I mean, he's got my picture on his refrigerator. Gosh darn it. He loves me. He's like, rather die than live without me. But he rose again without me. But whatever. Okay, fine. But, you know, I mean, this is, this is God. But then life doesn't make sense, does it? Because then you go through tragedy, and then your spouse does cheat on you, and then your finances go, do go in the tank, and then your kids do go crazy, and then life spirals out of control. And this is what people come tell me, Pastor, 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 where's God? Because if God really is all-powerful, and if God really is all-knowing, and if God really is primarily concerned about me, then he is not doing his job. To which I say, you are absolutely right. Your God is pitiful. Your God created man because he was so lonely, he needed somebody to have a relationship with. Your God is needy. Wait a minute, your God's a lot like us. Hold up. We've, made, we've gone full circle. We started off with it's all about us. We learned it's all about God. And then we made a God in our own image who is primarily concerned with us. I get concerned when preachers throw out God's going to do this for you. God's going to do that for you. God's going to do that for you. And it's all stuff that you would want even if you didn't serve God at all. It's stuff the Gentiles seek, is what Jesus said. Jesus said there are stuff. There are things. Your, your clothes, your life, your food, where you're going to live, what you're going to eat. That, that, but, but the atheists are looking for that stuff. This is, this is the issue, though. It's not that God wants to make our lives miserable. It's not that God doesn't care about us. It's not that God is concerned about himself only. But when we recognize that God is primarily concerned with his glory, that's when we start to understand that sometimes we bring God more glory when we go through tragedy than when we go through triumph. Because people in the world say, yeah, well, your finances are great, your kids are great, your life's great. Of course you're happy. I'd be happy too if my life was all working out like that. But then God allows tragedy to strike 
And then they watch you walk through tragedy, walk through hell, still believing in your supposed God, still giving to him, still serving him, still following him. And they scratch their head and they go, I don't understand because if my life fell apart, I wouldn't have anybody to go to. I wouldn't have any rock to stand on. I would, I would be a mess if I were you. What exactly do you have? And this is God's primary purpose. When, 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 like, like when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, I'm not doing it because I want you to be free. I do want you to be free, but I'm doing it so that the world will know that there is a God in heaven. That is God's primary objective in your life. You are living so that the world will know that there is a God in heaven. When God heals you, he's healing you because he wants the world to know that there is a God in heaven. When God does something in your life, it's because he wants South Austin to know. When God planted a church in South Austin called City Chapel, it's because he wanted this area and this community to know that there is a God in heaven and that he is worshiped and that he is sovereign and that he is good. That's the purpose. So God does these things, but this is, this is where we get it mixed up as we start seeking these things. And so, uh, and so, and so, so the person I was talking to, I said, so what do you want, right? That's the question I asked you in the beginning. What do you want? Whatever you wrote down or whatever you're thinking about, we could just put it right here on the board. I know, I know for me, um, because I'm super godly, um, what I want is, for a lot of people, I didn't put that, but uh, people to know Jesus. Okay, that's what I want. I want. I want this church full of people who have found Jesus and are serving Jesus. That's a good thing. Some of us want a spouse. And, 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 you know, he's, he's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, he's godly. It's, you know, he is amazing within your head. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and he's out there. And he's out there. And some of us, some of us want a job. Some of us want a different job, better job, or just a job, period. And, 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 and it's out there. Um, Janie has been asking for prayer for the past like four weeks, three weeks, um, for God to bring justice to a situation in her life, a situation where she was not treated justly. This is a long legal battle she's going to have to go through. It's expensive. It's crazy. It's dumb. It shouldn't have happened. And so she told me about it like three or four weeks ago when it first happened. So we've been praying, God bring justice for Janie, okay? So I want people to know Jesus. Janie wants justice. Do you think maybe God likes justice? Do you think maybe God likes to, to vindicate his people? Absolutely. That's good stuff. This is, the stuff we want is not the problem. The problem is that all of these things should be second. They're second things. C.S. Lewis said that when we seek first things first, we get second things thrown in. But when we seek second things first, we don't get first things or second. If you want to know how to get out of want and get out of the weight and the burden of want... Stop seeking second things. Stop it. Uh, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and then second things will get thrown in. They'll get added to you. In fact, God says that he won't withhold any good thing from us. He wants to give you good second things. But he wants most for you to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Not just the kind of righteousness you can muster up on your own, but the kind that you need help from God. And so on Monday night, Janie was asking prayer again because the lawyer was basically writing up the letter and they're going to go through this three to six month ordeal and he couldn't figure out a way out of it. It's just the way that it was. And it, and it all has to do with, with one of Janie's relatives who's currently in jail. Anyway, it's, it's weird. And so 
we were praying these repentance prayers, seeking his kingdom, his righteousness, and Janie prayed out loud for her brother, for her relative, that God would bless him, and that God would help her be free, be free from being offended at him, from being hurt at him. And a lot of people didn't know what was going on. I knew what was going on. I said, that is an awesome prayer. Like, that's what it's all about. And did you know that that very night, the lawyer's writing up the letter, Monday night, he sees something that he hadn't seen before. The brother forgot to do something, something or other. Calls her up Tuesday morning and says, I think we can get this thing cleared up by Friday, and we'll go through with the sale of the house that you've been trying to do. And Friday, they signed the papers, and the breakthrough came, and it was awesome. The second thing came. The second thing came. And that's cool. And that's often where we clap because that's where it impacts us. Heaven was clapping when Janie sought the first thing. Heaven was pumped when Janie decided to let go and release her brother and bless him and pray for him and, 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 and seek the first thing. And then God's like, okay, boom, done. We spent three, four weeks, the pastor, a bunch of prayer people praying for the second thing, and we never got it. We spent 30 seconds praying for the first thing, and we got the second thing in the exact same moment. Because God's like, yes, 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 that's what I've been waiting for. That's what I want right there. That's what I want. That's what I'm going for. So just, just to bring this home, I want to I, I look at a piece of scripture in Mark chapter 9. There's a very interesting story in Mark chapter 9, and uh, there's, there's this argument going on. Between, between Jesus' disciples and, 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 and these other teachers of the law. So Jesus comes in and says, hey, what's going on? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, uh, I brought my son uh, to you, for he, was, he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth, foams at the mouth, and becomes rigid or becomes really weak. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able to do it. And so Jesus answered them. <laughs> Once again, he's not seeking a relationship with them. Uh, he's seeking his own glory, and so he answers them, and he says, he says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And so they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it started convulsing the boy. The boy fell on the ground, rolling around, foaming at the mouth, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? I, Jesus is hilarious. Like, this is chaos. This is craziness. Little kid is literally swallowing his tongue, and he's rolling around and foaming, and Jesus is like, so, um, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, how long has this been going on? <laughs> it's not time for small talk, Jesus. <laughs> like, it does, does it matter? Like, does it really matter? Like, and besides, doesn't Jesus know how long this has been going on? Why is he asking this guy? Well, you'll see here in a minute, this is very important, the, the, the man's response. Uh, the man said, well, from childhood, and it, and, and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water in order to destroy him. This is the key statement. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, quoting him, he said, if you can. Notice... Jesus picked up on the phrase that the man said. He said, he said, if you. So that was going to be my sermon title. I was going to have you turn to each other and just tell them that the if is on you. Because they said, because he said, Jesus, if you can do something. This is victim mentality. If, 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 
my husband ever straightens up himself or if my wife ever gets it together or if my kids ever stop bugging me or if my employer finally learns how to be a great boss or if my pastor actually sends me a text message or if this happens, then, then, or then the final if is if God does something, then it's going to be awesome. But, but Jesus said, no, hold up, hold up, hold up. The if is not on me, it's not on your employer, and it's not on your pastor. The if is on you. If you can. He quotes him right back. He's like, yeah, yeah, if, now. It's not a question. If I can do it, yeah, I can do it, dude, for real. But if you, if you can, if you can what? He says, if you can believe. This is, this is the weight of all things. This is the weight. It's not what you can carry. It's not what you can accomplish. It's if you can believe. All things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father hears that and he cries out and says, and this, this is amazing. He cries out, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running together, he rebuked the, the unclean spirit, said to it, you mutant deaf spirit, get out of here, command you to go, don't ever enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, the spirit came out, the boy was like a corpse, people thought he was dead, they're like, great Jesus, you have a small talk that really helped us out, killed the kid. But Jesus took the kid by the hand, lifted him up, and he got him, stood up, and then when he had entered the house, his disciples came to him privately and said, hey, 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 really great, the, you know, the whole thing with the kid, but, but what we want to know, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus says, oh, this kind, what kind? The kind that's been in family for years, the kind that controls your life, the kind that causes you to destroy yourself, this kind cannot be driven out except by prayer. Now, many, many people read that passage and they think, they think that the disciples are asking, how can we do this better next time? But notice what Jesus said. This kind doesn't come out except through prayer. When did Jesus pray? Like, did I miss it? Because I was reading the passage, and I went back and read the chapter before. And, the cha and I'm wondering, Jesus, did you pray? Did he pray? No, he just spoke to the, the demon and said, get out. And he went out, and it was done. But Jesus said, this kind, this kind, the kind that controls people's lives, this doesn't come out except through prayer. So if Jesus didn't pray, did the disciples, they were they over there? Bless him, Jesus, touch him, okay, just get your hands around here, let's all lay hands on this kid. And get, no, we don't see that. There's no prayer. There's only one prayer that I see in this passage. In verse 24, immediately the father cried out to Jesus. And he said, I believe, that's a statement. And then he said, help my unbelief. It's the only prayer I know about in this passage. If you find another one, let me know. I believe Jesus began engaging the man in conversation because he was looking for the only thing that would set this kid free. Sometimes we put this huge if on God, and we're like, if God could just come down, and, and he's waiting on us. He's waiting on us. He's, way, he's engaging us in conversation, looking to see if we'll say this simple three-word prayer. Help my unbelief. Notice, not help my kid, not help my family, not help, my, not help me get to the pasture, but no, help 
that thing inside of me that is against you, that doesn't believe that you are perfectly able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I can, help that thing that argues. Because I do believe part of me, but then part of me doesn't believe. Help. And he doesn't say forgive my unbelief. He doesn't say forget my unbelief, wipe out my, no, 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 help it. I don't want it to stay here. I want my unbelief to turn to belief. So help raise it up. Help elevate my belief until I do fully believe you. That is the three-word prayer. Help my, you got got to own it. Help my unbelief. I see a gap, Lord, between... The world wants you to focus on the gap between what you have and what you don't have. God wants you to focus on the gap between where you are and where you ought to be. Because once again, he's not concerned about second things as much as he's concerned about first things. And so he says, help my unbelief. That's the thing. The kind of demonic power that has been in your family for years and ruined your life and controlled you and, and made you a slave is not going to leave your life until you cry out to God and say, help my unbelief. Change me on the inside. Even Jesus couldn't cast it out by himself. He was looking for the man's prayer. He was looking for that prayer. How long has this been going on? Well, who really wants to talk? He's looking for a prayer. And he's pulling your face to him in these first 21 days of the year in order that you might actually cry out to him, help my unbelief. Because we all have some area of unbelief. We all have some area of disobedience. We all have some area where we're falling short of who we know we ought to be. And there's some breakthroughs that are never going to happen in your life until you say, help this thing inside of me. Set me free from offense against my brother. And then God, boom, brings deliverance. Your deliverance is not on the other side of God's whatever he decides to do. No, it's really dependent on you. He's waiting for you if you can. If you can, then he will. Let's bow our heads and pray for just a moment. I would just challenge you that if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about some areas of unbelief in your life, I would just challenge you to pray that prayer. Right there where you're at. Lord, we need you to help our unbelief. We've been asking you to help our kids and all this other stuff. Help the demonic power to get out. Help help, help a breakthrough, really. We've been asking for you to do stuff for us. But Lord, we, we, we change our focus right now. We realize that the problem is not what's oppressing us. The problem is what is possessing us. The problem is what is inside of us. That there is an argumentative voice on the inside of us that even though we do believe, and that's a true statement, at the same time we are not faithfully walking in that belief. We are not fervently continuing in that belief. We waver. We go back and forth, honestly, to, between, yes, yes, God's able to, well, I don't really know. And we constantly doubt your capability, and our lives prove it. Our lack of trust in you is seen because we won't release the reins. We won't release control. The fear of what could happen if you, Lord, somehow don't take care of us as well as we have been able to take care of ourselves. The fear keeps us from the freedom that you have for us. 
And so right now we just take a moment. We just say, help. Help my unbelief. Help my doubt. Help my sin. Help my need to be in control. Help my need to, to figure this thing out and take care of this on my own. Help my independence. Help my fierce independence. Help my pride. Help my arrogance. Help my belief that I that I can somehow, I got myself into this and I can get myself out of it. Lord, help, help this thing inside of me that's always wanting more and never getting enough, never satisfied carrying so much on my back and I'm so tired of it. Help my unbelief because that's at the root of it. Our kids are not free because we do not believe. Our society is not free because we do not believe. Our families are not what they were meant to be, not because the enemy has come in and done whatever he's done. No, the enemy can come in like a flood, but God will raise up a standard against him if we will believe. The if is on us. The if is on our ability to, to cry out to you and say, help my unbelief. I have unbelief. I do. I know it's not spiritual. I know it's not sexy to say that, but I, I got it. It's in me. It's real. It's stopping me. I own it. 